Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, a National Women's Current Affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne on Wondery Country of the Kulin Nations and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Aoife Cook. The theme for International Women's Day 2017 is Be Bold for Change. And a lot of the content on Women on the Line is about bold, courageous, intelligent women and gender diverse people who are telling us of their work, their projects and their campaigns for political, social and economic justice. But we decided to get a little more personal for this special edition. The guests interviewed in this show were asked simply, who taught you to be bold for change? And now you can listen to the responses with no comment, no analysis, but a presentation of some of the characters who keep us doing what we do. My name is Melis Sevik. I was, um, I'm a Turkish background, came to Australia in 85 at the age of 21. And um, I'm a social work trained and I worked in domestic violence sector, large part of my working life. And within the last 12 years, I'm in HK, which I love. And I'm a mother of 20-year-old twins, and um, yeah, that's me. Um, I never forget that I was at the age of 14, going from Asian side to European side in Istanbul, and in the um, ferry that we crossed, we didn't have the bridges back then, there was this group of feminist women were giving a needle to people, especially to women. If men ever touches, so they can, you know, hurt them with the needle so they, they wouldn't do it again. And I was really so impressed with such such a activism and that sort of was a wake up that men never had any right to touch or hassle or harass or, you know, do anything like that. And, and that was the beginning, I was turning 15, that was the beginning of my feminist era. When I came to Australia, people often have assumption that Migrant women can't be feminist enough, but that was all rubbish, you know. They were all doing it in Istanbul when I was 15, like 38 years ago. My name's Anne, Dr. Anne Drillick. I, um, I have many functions in life. In some ways, the most important one is being a mother, because I think producing children to be good adults is, I'm blessed to be able to do that. But I'm also a daughter, and as a role of a daughter, I'm, I'm in, I have been placed in a position in history where I have found myself needing to um, address issues that have not been addressed in the past. And I'd like to uh, recall a woman called uh, Vanda... Ressler. Uh, she died at the age of 103 in 2015. Um, and I'd like to remember her because she was 
a normal, ordinary, everyday woman, but she was extraordinary. And I think it's these sort of people that are often forgotten, and for me, she was a very important figure. Okay, so she was born in Tarnoff, in a tiny little town that no one's heard of, or many people have not heard of, in Poland, and um, around in 1912. And she um, was beautiful and blonde, uh, and the Second World War came upon, and she sort of was Jewish, so she lost most of her family. Uh, she had a terribly tragic life. She hid in the Tarnoff ghetto, actually, with my own mother, and she was responsible for really encouraging my mother to flee the ghetto because my mother was also blonde and was had a standing chance of maybe trying to flee um, and um, did so. So really, I'm here today really largely because of this woman, uh, but that's not the only reason why I'm remembering her. She had a really terrible life. So she, before the war, she was really bright. Her father was a lawyer and he really, as she, I, I went to interview her in Sydney a few years ago because I wanted to really get the history. Um, I didn't want to lose it and I wanted to get her history, the history more particularly of my mother who died when I was 13 and uh, in tragic circumstances related to the war. And, um, and this woman was really incredible because she had suffered a lot. She, she got married in the first year of the war, so at some time in 1939. Uh, she lost her uh, family. She lost her husband. She never heard what happened to him. There was never any positive thing, but he was gone, never to return. Uh, and she met her next husband then, uh, Eric, who she married, and he was the love of her life. Um, but her sister was raped during the war and her sister um, was 10 years younger than Vander and she saw the guy who raped her walking down the street one day, uh, free after the war, and she committed suicide. So Vander had this terrible tragedy in her life. She ma married Eric and had a baby called Didja. She's got a different name, Danusha, um, and came to Australia. And Eric tragically had, oh, it wasn't tragic, but it, sadly he had a heart attack very young in life. So Vanda was really um, financially uncertain, uh, but she, um, you know, basically kept the family together, was a very loving wife and mother and profoundly successful in her own ability. She was a very intelligent, kind, loving sort of individual. And she um, did really great things, like she, uh, fun without, without, Trumpeting it, she fundraised money for orphans, for example, children who just happened to, she knew the parents had died. So she actually fundraised sufficiently to create a trust so that they could have a house uh, when they grew up. She had amazing qualities. So although she had such a tragic life, she herself maintained her dignity and strength and she was intact as an individual. She was quite extraordinary in that way. But more recently, um, I was re I've been researching my own family background, coming from a Jewish-Polish background, and there's been a lot of silence about the war because, like most traumas, people don't talk about it. Um, and so I was wanting to research that. I went to visit her and actually interviewed her, um, and so I tape-recorded her uh, with her permission, and she was unbelievably kind in her and generous in speaking about things that I knew she was not comfortable to speak about. But she said to me, if you want to know it, I really want you to know it. And that was an act of love, not just for me, but for my mother, because she was sharing history. 
as she recalled it. And she was an extraordinary, really extraordinary woman. I then went back a couple of years later with both my children um, to so that she would meet them. And then my husband and I went to her funeral. She was just an extraordinary woman. She had the most tragic life, but she maintained this beauty. I suppose she has helped me in the sense that I've been very passionate about. Um, the change that I'm looking for is that um, I'm actually in the middle of a battle with Poland um, and with history, fighting for... Uh, there's a history wars going on um, in Poland, just as there is in Australia, and the Poles are representing themselves as significantly just victims and brave. Um, they were victims, they were brave, but it's much more complex. Um, and uh, this fight is going on at, to this day. So Wanda um, was really helpful in helping fill in some facts in history, just in terms of what it was like um, to be Jewish in Poland in the 30s, in the 40s, um, and then afterwards, you know, and the uh, many many Poles saved Jews, most didn't. Um, and there were good reasons for that, but there were sometimes not good reasons for that. So just her experience was really important. Let yep. me think. <laughs> I pick you. I pick you. I pick you first. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure I picked you first. My name's Naomi, and I'm 33, and I'm from Adelaide, and I moved here about 15 years ago. I'm Mish, I'm 36. I moved from the country to Melbourne when I was 21. So I've been here a while now, and I'm enjoying my life. That's a nice thing to have. <laughs> <laughs> Could you stay with me? Because I think she's a, a fiery light in my life in terms of, um, yeah, I consider myself a feminist and I have been for a long time and I'm very interested and active in the political struggles of women. And I think there's few people in my life that I can go into absolute depth with about these topics and, and find something to keep exploring. Mish is a really, really important female friend in my life. Um, and in thinking about why that is, it's really hard to pinpoint, but I think it's because you, you hit all these different levels. Like, we have amazing intellectual connection. I think we've got great spiritual connection. You're heaps of fun. Um, there's lots of affection and love between us. Um, oh, who's dealt? You dealt it, Mish. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe not appropriate. I don't know. Well, uh, we've had this long-standing thing between us where we see what our boundaries are between between each other as friends and when are we overstepping the boundary and when are we just drawing up to the line. So we just test it out. We figure out what are the boundaries and we talk about it. So one day I had thrush and one day I needed yogurt to alleviate that thrush and one day there was the suggestion that maybe Naomi should put that yogurt on that thrush 
and would that be a boundary crosser? And we decided that wasn't a boundary crosser. And so such a thing occurred. And then so we ended up in the bathroom with a tub of yogurt and a spoon, giggling hysterically. And soothing, soothing feelings. <laughs> Across Australia, you are listening to Women on the Line on the Community Radio Network. It's International Women's Day on the 8th of March, and Women on the Line are asking, who taught you to be bold for change? My mother. She is a woman with a social justice passion. Uh, my name is Maria Cozzi. I am coming, uh, I was born in Rome and it's 37 years that I live in Australia. Um, I'm 59 years old and uh, since I was a child, I could see her dedicating her life uh, to assist people. What she did, she was actually um, valuing the fact that human beings have need to be treated with respect. And so therefore, whatever she was doing was never done with that charity thing, oh, poor you, I'm doing this for you, but with really with boldness and demanding services for the for the people that she was actually um, came to her attention and needed assistance, which meant going to our family doctor and say, "Look, this person is a really well, doesn't have the money. You really need to care for this person." When in the 70s we had also uh, refugees coming from Argentina, come from Italy. We're talking about the time in that I was living in Rome. And most of the Argentinian women were escaping. Uh, at the time, it was really terrible with the, the lost parasitos, like the people that disappeared without. So, and my mom was taking their stand in terms of she, she made sure that they had shelter, she made sure that they were fed, she made sure that they can access to the services. And this is from a woman of that five children. And um, yes, but she marched and occupied places that were um, flats or units that were empty to make sure that the government was giving it to people that deserved it. Deserved it. Everyone deserves it. <laughs> it was not like the deserving poor. Every human being needed to have a shelter over their head. My name's Naomi. I'm 26 years old, uh, and I'm I've, I'm working in the field of social work. Uh, I'm the youngest of three children, so I've had lots of uh, role models ahead of me, um, kind of directing possible life paths. But um, I'm really glad that my kind of work path and my life path are at this point. Um, I feel my own choices, and um, yeah, following a career path that is really interesting to me and that I feel passionate about. I'd like to highlight my aunt. She's my mother's youngest sister. Um, and I think my life reflects her life in a number of ways. Um, but she definitely has um, tried to make change in her own life and for the lives of others in ways that inspire me and have kind of helped me to set my courses in life. Um, she went to um, she went to university where none of her neither of her parents did um, so that was a um, previously she was from 
um, non-tertiary educated background and she chose to go to university. Um, she also um, chose to... Uh, she, she works as a social worker, um, and, which is quite a different career path to most of the people in her family. And obviously, I myself am a social worker. That's a career path that I have um, been motivated by her to follow. I would commend her for not putting people necessarily in their gender boxes, um, herself included, obviously. Um, she's always been quite career-driven, um, and she has taken on challenging roles when she was very young. Um, and she also got offered a management position um, right when she fell pregnant with her first child and didn't want to, while she was pregnant, I think, and didn't really didn't want to turn the management position down. So she ended up taking this management position and so her partner uh, raised her children basically um, right from right from very young childhood so that she could her career and obviously still be involved in her home life, but so that um, she could pursue a career that she'd given a lot of time to and a role which she felt she'd earned and was um, was qualified to do. My grandfather was a farmer, came from a farming family, actually so did my grandmother. So um, on my mother's side of the family, um, for many generations back, uh, they were dairy farmers. Um, and again, obviously, obviously, um, before before about halfway through the 20th century, it was really standard um, for a husband and wife team to kind of do different roles for for a husband to be working and uh, earning a wage, and for a wife to be kind of maintaining the home, um, raising children, things like that. But um, that's particularly the case when you're working a dairy farm because it really takes it really takes two people. To do that, and I think in my family, it had been perceived as set roles. You know, the man working outside and the woman working in the house. Um, yeah, um, I find I find her to be um, maybe open-minded in a way that she's not necessarily been raised to be, and she's definitely a reason that I um, have chosen to also open open my mind to different political and social views where otherwise. I may not have challenged my upbringing if there wasn't someone kind of directly above me in my family who'd also done the same. She's probably, uh, my, this aunt of mine has probably um, done a lot of things in her life that many other people have done or, and even many other women have done, but because she's so close to me um, in terms of blood relations, I guess she's someone that I directly look to. I don't know that I've ever told her that... Um, I feel really proud to be having followed a... I feel really proud to have followed a similar life path to her, to have done similar study and to be doing similar work. It's in my nature to be not all that expressive, but I think it's important to to express that you're proud of someone or that you respect someone um, when you do. She's just a girl and she's on fire Hotter than a fantasy, lonely like a highway. She's living in a world and it's on fire. Filled with catastrophe, but she knows she can fly away.
My name is April Bragg and I'm 61, sadly 61 years old. Well, just through my work as a housing worker for too long now, but around about 34 years, I've just met the most inspirational women and generally um, older women. But when I first started off in housing and was really excited about being a young housing worker and changing the world, um, I worked on public housing estates and one woman who to this day is a very dear friend of mine, um, and her name is Joan, Joan Maxwell um, and lives in South Melbourne. And she's part of the Emerald Hill Tenant Group. And as a young worker, I started on that estate. But the remarkable thing about Joan was that um, she had never been in any um, involved in any groups. She, she was a nurse, recently retired, had lived on the estate. It was the first estate to, to be built by the Housing Commission. Um, and in those days, the Housing Commission was so worried about people getting together to um, organise um, for change. And particularly by that time in the 80s, the states had started to run down and no money was being put in. Um, Jeff Kennett was the Housing Minister. So, um, so there was lots that needed, and also public housing had a stigma at that time. So here was this wonderful woman um, who had never been involved in anything, um, particularly political, that... Uh, sort of led the charge because people on the estate really respected her um, and got involved and was involved in marches and organising on the estate. And the amazing thing about that was that um, was really brave because that wasn't an easy thing for tenants to do to stand up to their landlord, um, particularly as there were signs up in the foyers, particularly in all the high-rises where it said that people were not, more than two people at a time, were not to congregate. So can you imagine taking that, that action? At the time in Australia... Um, and it must have been, what government would it have been? Anyway, um, whatever government it was at, at that time, the federal government, there was a lot of money that was being spent on um, defence and they were looking at um, funding what was known as the MX missile and it was, you know, billions of dollars and in those days, you know, <laughs> it was a lot of money. And so the campaign that we ran, ran was uh, no MX missiles and build housing instead and um, so we, we had this pretty dinky demonstration where we, you know, put cardboard, you know, rockets together and it was the first demo that Joan had ever been involved in and as she's charging up the stairs of Parliament House, she turned around to me and said, I'll never forgive you for, for getting me into this, but off we go, onwards and upwards, up we go, up we went the stairs. Um, and as I said, difficult things um, for particularly long-term tenants on the estate where Joan lived and I worked on that estate um, the Ministry of Housing um, decided to bring in the eviction for rent arrears um, policy and what that meant for particularly a lot of the um, lone women on the estate that had children that were in arrears um, and the arrears had built out, they certainly couldn't afford to um, pay it back uh, and the department wasn't really interested in those days in entering into repayment plans. Anyway, we ran a really big campaign and it got down to the point of physically defending those flats um, to make sure that those women weren't evicted. Um, and it meant physically barricading um, the stairwells from the police and the, the flats themselves. 
And Joan and some of the other women on, on the estate were right behind this action to make sure that those young women didn't um, get evicted. And there were a couple of families that were particularly targeted. Um, and again, I'm really happy to say that um, here we are all these years later that those families and generations, of, following generations of those families are still living on that estate. And that's a, a major achievement. But the bravery of um, really um, stopping police coming up stairwells um, and the only thing you can do that by is your own physical strength um, was was amazing, really scary but amazing because um, the department was and the minister particularly was hell-bent on making sure that that policy um, was carried out. But the thing that um, I really learnt from Joan um, was that uh, it was just Joan and her husband um, you know, they didn't have any children. It was at the start of when priority housing was introduced, um, which meant that um, uh, it was a system where you actually had to have a lot of problems in your life. And there were a lot of people on the estate who were couples and who had raised children and who were really quite judgmental and really objected to the priority housing system, not because it was the old queue-jumping argument, but these were seen to be particularly young women with children who weren't deserving. And Joan was really amazing in, in that um, she just didn't bat an eyelid in, um, you know, standing up to those people as well, a lot of them who've been her neighbours for many, many years, um, and saying it's, it's, you know, it's society, it's how it happens, it happens to people really easily. So she was the, the least judgmental person that, that I think I've ever met in my life. And she taught me, being with her every day, she taught me those, that, you know, that way of thinking and that way of looking. I thought that I had it down pat, but of course I had prejudices within me that, you know, I, I'd like to think today that, that I certainly don't and I certainly think, view the world differently and all because of Joan. Um, the other thing that it also, she also taught me as, um, and this is a, <laughs> my biggest life lesson, um, as a young woman I was terrified of, of death um, Joan, who was, um, you know, a great carer of a, a lot of people on the estate, particularly in the high-rise building where there are a lot of older people living alone, um, Joan had, had no fear of illness or death and she saw it that one of the most important gifts you could have is particularly when people were dying, that um, someone was with them and they didn't die alone. And Joan went be, beyond that um, in that um, she certainly you know um you know wash and dress people and not saying everyone in the state needs to go to those lengths but um i it, it's such a strong um thing to to be able to to do that that for someone where they die with care and love and dignity even even from a stranger basically um so i'm very thankful to to joan for all of those those lessons and she you know, um, certainly made me a stronger woman. Thank you to all our contributors to today's show. Happy International Women's Day 2017 and be bold for change. Women on the Line is a national women's current affairs programme made for community radio. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts or comments about the program. So please send an email to womenontheline at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. <laughs>